Let's pray together. Father, we come before you thanking you that we stand in you and on your rock. Father, we come before you asking you to help us in this new year to look to you and to your word. Father, we uh, ask that you would help us, Lord, to put your word to practice, to trust you, and to cling to you. And so, Father, um, we ask your help this morning to do just that. Lord, we don't uh, just pray for ourselves, but other churches as well. Lord, we lift up Trinity Baptist Church in Deep Gap, that you would be with them this morning as they worship together, that, Lord, you would make yourself known uh, to them through your word, and, Lord, that you would continue um, working and ministering through them for your glory. Father, we pray for um, other uh, Reformed Baptist Network churches. We lift up Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming this morning, and that you would be with them. Thank you for Pastor Brian and the team there, that you would continue to work in their midst. Father, we ask that you would um, just continue to draw many to faith in Christ in northern Wyoming, that you would continue to work in and through them. We thank you for uh, the faithfulness of church planting and um, the endeavors there in Wyoming. Lord, that you would uh, see um, just your continued work uh, in and through uh, their lives and through the lives of, of local churches. Lord, we uh, pray for those this morning that are uh, hiding uh, to worship. Uh, we think of the persecuted church this morning. We lift up the persecuted church in Pakistan this morning. We uh, are told from your word to pray uh, for those that are persecuted as if we are in chains with them. And Lord, that you would be with uh, those who are standing for their faith and being put in prison. And so, Lord, uh, we ask for your help there. Lord, that you would work in and through their lives. Father, we pray for um, unreached people groups that are waking up this morning without any light of your gospel because it's never been taken to them. Lord, even though that's hard to believe in such a, a world that's made smaller through transportation and communication that we now have, Lord, a... Uh, a world that uh, still is in need of you. And so we pray that you would send ministry, uh, uh, missionaries rather to the Barawan people of Malaysia, Lord, that not only would they hear the gospel and be saved, but Lord, that you would um, just work in and through uh, the lives of, of your people to bring uh, not just the gospel, but uh, your word translated into their language that they might rejoice to hear of good news. And so, Lord, we lift those people to you as well. Father, we lift up the war in Ukraine and all the continuing strife there, Lord, that you would bring it to a close. Uh, God, that you would uh, do your work, but we know that you're accomplishing things that we cannot see. And so we pray for believers in both of those countries. We pray for those who are saving lives and caring for the wounded. We pray for those that are... Um, seeking to um, make you known in the midst of the turmoil, that you'd be with them. Those who are marginalized by war, the refugees and others, Lord, that you would be with them. 
Father, we pray for the sick. We continue to lift up uh, those who have been fighting sickness and thank you for helping many uh, get where so many have been um, very sick and even hospitalized, that you would be with them. Father, we uh, pray for those who still this time of the year uh, have that hole in their hearts from a loss uh, this last year or the year before, that just that grieving process, Lord, that it would drive them to you. And so, Father, um, we ask for your help there. God, uh, that you would uh, bind up their broken hearts. Father, for uh, Quinn and Rose, that you would be with them, Lord, as they um, go on their honeymoon, as they worship together this morning, as they uh, continue on in their honeymoon this, this next week, Lord, that you'd be with them and that you'd bless these early days of their marriage, and Lord, that you would strengthen them and draw them together. Father, we lift up um, Christ Alone Church, and as they uh, look to constitute, Lord, this month, that you would be with them, uh, and the excitement, Lord, that they have, Lord, that you would encourage them. And Father, finally, for our worship this morning, that you would help us to be of clear conscience and, Lord, clear minds before you. Thank you that uh, you are with us and that you draw us to yourself just as we are, but you don't want us to leave the same way we came in. And so help us, we pray. Would you minister to our hearts as only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you uh, stand with me as we read God's word together? Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We're jumping back into our study there after taking a break over the holidays to look at the uh, incarnation and its um, call on our lives to um, preach the gospel, but also to make Christ known. As we head back into Genesis now, um, we are going to pick up where we left off here, uh, really right before the flood. So we are starting here in verse 9 of chapter 6, and we'll just read verse 9 and 10. These are the words of the living God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, as we uh, jump back into uh, this series um, and a new year, um, it's, it's, it's awesome to, to look at these things. And as we're putting Genesis together one step at a time, it reminds me of a common gift that I've been seeing here over the holidays, and that is uh, a puzzle. Uh, I don't know if any of you received a puzzle. It's kind of the go-to gift when you don't know what else to get get someone. Um, I tortured Kaysen by getting him a, a cat puzzle because um, he loves cats so much, and it's a cute little cat in a stocking, and so he can put that together. He said he'd use it for target practice. And uh, I got Quinn a puzzle of, uh, of the, um, uh, the queen. And so him and Rose get to put that together for his love for England. And so puzzles are a, a fun thing to do. My own son Jackson is, is getting better. He's graduated from 24-piece puzzles to 50-piece puzzles, and he's getting really good at it for a four-year-old. And I'm really, it's really awesome to watch him figure out how they go together. His, he's got some spatial intelligence there where he's putting things together. 
But for most of us, we like to do the border first and then kind of work on the harder parts of a puzzle. But as we're looking at Genesis, we sometimes get that feel that there's these puzzle pieces and we're not seeing how they fit together. Well, Pastor Quinn has done a great job in walking us through up to this point, showing us how these puzzle pieces fit together and kind of reviewing about where he's gone from the early part of chapter six. Moses, in writing Genesis, wants us to understand how these things are being put into place. That he's doing this one step at a time as we're seeing this scarlet thread of redemption shown to us from the garden and the promise of the coming seed now to the generation of Noah. We also see Quinn has been leading us faithfully to tell us about these sections, these Toledos sections, which really translated really means these generations, these generational connections of how the gospel is going through. And so right here where we pick up, we, it's in the context of what we looked at last time in, in chapter six, verse eight, that it's a huge contrast between the darkness of what mankind had become because of the fall and now what God is doing redemptively through his people. And it's in this black backdrop that we heard of God's plan to destroy the earth as it was. Both man and beast would perish. And as we get into this next section, we're gonna see the preparation for this great flood. Doesn't it show you God's patience and mercy that he was announcing this and then he gives preparation, and then he brings judgment when we get to chapter seven and chapter eight. How awesome it is that God gives warnings. Have you ever considered that for the unrighteous? The warnings that he gives us, he, he calls us to repentance and faith, and then at the time that is set, he brings judgment. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, as we'll look at, that he was warning his generation. And then when the door of the ark closed, God shut it. And God said, it is finished. And then judgment came. And there is coming a judgment day. And we need to guard our hearts. And uh, even as, as um, uh, Paul says, to take inventory of our hearts concerning where uh, our hearts are at before the Lord, that we would know whose we are and that we are um, truly uh, saved. And so as we look at this section here in verses 9 and 10, he, Moses, in authoring this, says these are the generations of Noah. There's a clear breaking point here from what he's been saying on the backdrop of the wickedness and now what he's going to do that he's in at the end of verse seven is saying that he's gonna blot out mankind and all living things. But notice in the hope of chapter, or in verse eight, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's important to note that because as we move into this next section, everything's flowing from that. Have you ever noticed the covenants in scripture are all preceded by God showing favor to the one whom he's making a covenant with. It's huge. God is showing his favor. And so everything in verse nine and 10 is flowing out of this in setting up how he's going to use Noah in his generation. 
Have you ever considered the puzzle of your life and how God is using you in this generation to bring much praise to him? Perhaps there's confusion there. And this passage can be a great encouragement to us. So I wanna do that in three points this morning. First of all, in verse nine, Moses brings attention to Noah's character through the inspiration of the Spirit. Secondly, he brings attention to his communion with God. And then lastly, he mentions his children and who these sons of Noah were. And we'll pick up with that same theme uh, in the weeks ahead as God uses these very sons and their wives to ultimately repopulate the earth and bring redemption on the other side of judgment. And so let's look at these things. First of all, look at his character. These generations of Noah, it's an introduction to what will come after this and that Noah was um, uh, leading through this. It's important also to note here when we consider Noah and his character that Noah's name actually means rest. Rest. Isn't that interesting and all the striving that's going on between sinful man and a holy God that Noah was appropriately named? Rest, that God was going to bring rest from all the strife. God was going to bring rest amidst the blackness of sin and judgment that was coming, that God was going to bring hope. And so it's such a redemptive name as Noah. So as we look at Noah's character, notice what it says here. It says, Noah was a righteous man. Righteousness, when we think of that term in the context of chapter six, it's complete opposite, it's complete other than what we see here in this text. That people are turning from the living God. And so in the hope of the uh, the name of God and what he is going to accomplish in Noah's generation, we see here that God's character is being revealed in this man, Noah. And isn't that the truth in every generation? That God reveals himself through his people. Now we know, because we have studied the scriptures, that there's nothing inherently righteous just with Noah. Notice Again, that righteousness comes how? It, it ultimately comes from the Lord. Turn over to Hebrews chapter seven. We'll be going there in the next, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. That we'll be going there in, um, in weeks ahead to look at these and contrast these biblical truths uh, from the scripture. And I, I think I said 12, I meant 11. Uh, in, the, in the hall of faith, if you remember that God walks us through the faithfulness of each generation. And I think it's important for us to notice this here because it speaks uh, powerfully concerning what God is doing, but in a very summative, uh, summative way. And so if you look down in chapter 11 of Hebrews um, and look down uh, to verse six, it says this. It says, and without him, or without faith rather, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he, God, exists and he rewards those who seek him. 
So again, the concept of faith here in this passage, that pleasing God is not just mere externals. It's believing God. It's trusting him. It's trusting, looking to him and his word. And so it, it is a, a, a looking unto the object of your faith and not just, um, not just a, a, uh, you know, a, a thought process. And then in verse 7, it take, the author of Hebrews takes our thought here and it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God, Concerning the events yet unseen, that's Genesis chapter 6 and the verses we've already studied. Notice it says, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So that's what we'll be studying. And then it says this, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes how? By faith. So notice this, by believing God, Noah was condemning the world at that time. In other words, what is happening here? He's agreeing with God. He's agreeing with God that it is wicked, that God's character and his holiness is what all that matters. And ultimately, everything that flows out of that is to be seen eye to eye with God. And so we see here, that Noah was believing God and therefore contemning, contemning the world. The way that John the Apostle says it, that we hate what God hates and that we love what God loves. And therefore our own hearts as we have been saved, God is uh, drawing our affections to him to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And Noah did that in his generation. But my final attention here in uh, Hebrews 11, is to take us here to see that this was for the saving of his household, but also that in doing this, that he is an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. We've said many times that the Old Testament saints are saved in the same way the New Testament saints are. It's by believing God and believing his testimony that he would send a savior to die in their place and to save them from their sin. So where is the righteousness that Noah has coming from? Ultimately, from the Lord. It is one that is given to us by faith. And you might say, well, Pastor Scott, it doesn't say that right here in the text of Genesis. And while I agree with you, I actually want you to dig a little bit deeper because we do see it here. Because when we connect it to verse eight, that Noah found favor with God. There's no other explanation for it. Noah is just as sinful as any other man. Noah is not in the same amount, if you will, rebelling against God, but we know because of the line of Adam that Noah is guilty before God. None of us is as bad as we could be. None of us is doing the things maybe that we like to focus in on here in the generations of Noah. But we see here that Noah found favor with God. God's grace precedes covenant. He's showing his grace to the one who will receive that. The very fact that he's making a covenant shows that he's gracious. Do you remember from earlier in Genesis chapter three that he made coverings for Adam and Eve, that he's leading them out of the garden and he's reminding them of, 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 of his existence, that he is there? 
that he has provided a sacrifice for them. He doesn't kill them right away, but he leads them out of the garden as a judgment, but he's still with them. And while an angel guarded the way back to the garden that they would not be in that eternal state forever, the hope of the gospel begins to be preached there in Genesis chapter three. And so here we get into chapter six and we see here that Noah was a righteous man. And I want to dispel sometimes our unhelpful terminology when we, when we talk about being believers in Jesus. That we understand it's not our unrighteousness, but we see this character that God is building is the character of Christ in us. And so while it's true that we're sinners, the emphasis of the scriptures for us as saints is to identify with Christ and his people, that he has given us his righteousness, that we are righteous because of the standing which he has accomplished, not what we are doing. And do you see the difference there? And I think here, the context of a new year, this is so important. Do you ever feel like you're on a treadmill just trying to constantly please God? You can't in your own strength. If you haven't learned that yet, let me just break it to you that you are going to fail. And that shouldn't discourage you in the sense of, or even surprise you because you know you fail. The issue and our joy this morning is not in our performance. It's in Christ and it's in Christ alone. We have no hope other than him. And so starting out at the new year, don't look at your own performance. Look to Christ. He has shown you favor. The fact that you're here this morning starting your new year under the preaching of God's word is a good thing. It's an evidence that God is working in your life. And so this character that he's forming in Noah and in us, it's beautiful because it's not of us. It's of him. And so while Noah is set as a light in his generation, so he has put you, believer, as a light to your generation, calling people to repentance. And as you get into the ark of the Lord Jesus Christ and the world is condemned, so as you take joy in Christ, you're condemning the world and saying, this is not my home. This should encourage us on this New Year's Day. All is bright for the people of God. Why? Because old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Christ is sanctifying us. He is putting sin to death in us. But it's Christ's life in us. This ought to encourage us that he's building his character in us. You hear the words of the Apostle Paul, how much he loved the church. Multiple churches, he said, oh, I labor that Christ be formed in you. Do you desire that? There's nothing that we desire as pastors for your hearts, but that you would take communion with God and that you would take it seriously, that his character would be formed in you, that you would yield to his spirit and that you would trust him as he sanctifies you. And so Noah's character we see clearly is a righteous man. But secondly, another term is used here at the second half of verse nine. Notice it says he's blameless in his generation. He's blameless. This word literally means to not be able to, 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 to find fault. Now, I see the gospel here. 
because we know that Noah is to blame. We know even after the fall, there was things that Noah did that were shameful and that were definitely we could pin on that. But do you notice even in the context of where we were looking in Hebrews 11 a few moments ago, that's a line of sinful people. And did you ever realize that in Hebrews 11, not one sin of their faulty characters were mentioned? None. Why? Because they're not there. Why? Because they've trusted God by faith and he has washed that sin away. As far as the East is from the West, if you will. And so the blamelessness in his generation is a sign again of God's favor upon Noah. And as we're gonna see that God's favor shown to Noah and his family, it's characterized in these ways, in his character, his communion with God, which we'll get to in a moment. And finally, in a generational continuance of these things. And we'll add to that when we get to that as far as spiritual heritage. But right here, we need to see that it's in his generation that he is blameless. God builds up a people in every generation, calling them to repentance and faith, and he does it in an incarnational way, and he shows it through his people about what righteousness looks like. And it's not just them, it's ultimately the exposition or the showing forth of God's nature and character and holiness. And I don't know if that encourages you, but it sure encourages me as we start a new year that all the, all the things that we could do, good or bad this year, that they're really not worth the hill of beans in God's sight. But while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so God in his grace can accomplish in us with the dark backdrop of our world, just like it was in Noah's day. Christ himself said that in the days of Noah would be like the end times, that we can shine in our generation and I'm not here to tell you how many generations we have left before Christ comes back, but I tell you what, one thing is for sure, we have this generation that we're called to shine brightly for the glory of God, and he's doing that through his people. And then we hear our second point. We see, first of all, his character. Secondly, notice the end of verse nine. Noah walked with God. This Hebrew term halach means to closely, closely follow. This is why it's translated walk in, in English, that we are conversing continually with this individual. Do you guys remember when we looked at Enoch? Enoch walked with God and then was no more. It was the continual emphasis that Enoch had relationship with God. And so here our second point is we see that Noah had communion with God. He had relationship with God. Here at the beginning of the new year, what does your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ look like? Are you making his priorities your priorities? Are you seeking to honor him in your conduct? Are you seeking to obey his word in areas that you know that you are not obeying him? We're not neat and put together people. God is working in us and sanctifying us and, and calling us to himself. And so right here we see that this intimacy that Noah had with him was not just flowing from God's favor, but also that Noah was a recipient of this grace, that he received it by faith. And we know this 
because we see him walking with God. As the other scriptures say, you will know them by their fruits. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We see that in the scriptures. That These are exuding from us. It's an evidence and it should be an encouragement to us when we see them in our lives because it's God's work in us. And so Noah walked with God. I can't think of a greater epitaph on any of our tombs at the end of our days, maybe apart from saying that such and such was a godly individual, but to say that so-and-so walked with God. Is that said of you? What would your spouse say? What would your friends say? What would your church say? Do they see you walking with God? Do you have communion with God? Are you living out the Christian life as a, a list of duties to just check off the list? that you're desiring to pray more or to read your Bible more. And these are holy things. This is why we encourage them. This is why we're encouraging a, a Bible reading plan. But I guarantee you by January 18th, all of you will be off course and you, you won't have fulfilled your reading for that day. And it's okay. The fact is we're reading. We're reading together. Why? In his grace that we, we're flopping through all this and we're seeking to be disciplined in this way. But God is the one that is working this in us. And as he wants to commune with us, it's important for us to realize. Now, in Hebrews, it says that he believed God that he was going to bring this flood. But this is the very point. How is it that we can commune with God if we're not listening to him? And how does he speak to us? Through his word. How did Noah hear from God? Well, God had said, I am going to bring judgment on the earth. And as you read your Bibles, you see that God is going to bring judgment upon the earth one day. But it tells us many other things in between. But they are in accordance with life and godliness. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, under the inspiration of the same spirit, many, many years later, is reminding the church in some of his last words before he was crucified, just like his Savior, that he wanted to remind them of the hope that they have. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded, notice here, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of 
your souls. If you keep reading, of course, it speaks of the glories that angels even desire to look into and a calling to be holy at the end of chapter one. But why did I bring you here? Well, in Noah's generation, he was looking for salvation from this judgment and God was bringing it. But his look of faith is the same that we are called to, to look to God and to believe God, to realize that he is the only one who can save. And he is the one that who has been offended. And this goes into the glories of what we've been studying the last few weeks about the incarnation, that God would come in human flesh to save us, to give us such a great inheritance. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what can. He is gracious. So his character, calling us to communion with him. Lastly, in verse 10, let's look at how the um, author of Genesis speaks of this next generation. He says, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These three sons were going to be used and their wives in repopulating the new earth as we would know it through Genesis here. Not the new earth as we see in the sense of uh, revelation, but it would be new in the sense that many things were different. And Noah's three sons noticed that it would take a total of about 100 years for them to completely build this ark, that their whole lives centered around the building of this ark. If you look back to verse 32 of chapter 5, it says, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And while we don't have a a total time to, to look into that this morning, we will in the weeks ahead to connect these three sons into the future and their um, generations as well. Notice that that number there, that these sons were, were basically fathered in his early 500s. You thought you were old. So we know that after this point that the, uh, the, the, the flood would come and then the earth would be repopulated. It's possible that in the, the point that... Uh, uh, that uh, Moses is talking about here at the end of chapter five, that these sons had not taken wives yet. But we know in the context of this, Noah's whole family was being shepherded towards this act of God and their salvation. Their whole lives were consumed by it. Every day they're building an ark. Every day they're putting their minds forth that God is bringing judgment and our only salvation is him. He has told us how, what to do and we ought to do it. And we know that this is the case because he saved those eight souls. It became effective in their life. It was by faith, by believing God, and then it became reality. And just as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we're, we can't even see God, but we believe him. How? By faith. Noah had not seen the flood, but he hadn't even seen an ark. But he believed God by faith, that God was going to deliver in this way. Remember, this is prior to the covenant that we will look at later in Genesis that God made with Noah. But underlining here that God shows his grace and his favor prior to this point. And so his children, God uses every generation to accomplish his purposes. He uses the good, the bad, even our sin, and he recycles it for his glory and our good. We will see that later in the life of Joseph at the end of 
Genesis, that God did this with Joseph and used all the chaos of Joseph's early life and brought about salvation for uh, Joseph and his family. You can imagine the the glories that were uh, being dwelt upon by Jacob in his latter years, all the stress of those middle years of having lost his son and yet to find that he hadn't lost anything, he had gained everything. And so church, this morning, as you look to the new year, are you considering what God is doing in your generation? Are you considered what he's doing with your children as you faithfully seek to shepherd them and preach the gospel to them and teach the scriptures to them? Teaching them to pray, and yes, even disciplining them so that they might not go their own way and be foolish in their hearts and depart from the Lord. But I think this also speaks of while each physical generation is going on, it's not just generational faithfulness if we could try to use that terminology, but notice this is in the context of God's redemption. And so I think that it's not going beyond this text to say that in the redemptive purposes of God, this is also speaking as Paul did of his spiritual children, that that God is working in each generation, that these were his children, that when God is working in us as individuals, it's productive as we talked about with John the Baptist preaching last week from John chapter one. It's productive, it has fruit. We preach and it bears fruit. People are built up, the body of Christ is built up. We are equipped, we start to serve. And so here we see that in the context here of what Moses is saying and teaching, that the people of God pass the torch to the next generation. Are you passing the torch, not just your own physical children, but do you have spiritual progeny in the Lord that you have preached the gospel to and brought to maturity and discipled them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and encouraged them and see them reproducing spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And I don't want you to hang your head if that's been the case, but it's a, a reminder, an exhortation that you ought to do these things. You ought to preach the gospel. Don't leave it to us preachers to stand alone in our generation and take the gospel. Most of you probably heard the gospel the first time from somebody who was not a pastor or minister. It doesn't mean it's wrong to hear the gospel the first time in that way. But I thank God for Sunday school teachers. I thank God for a man named Sandy Atsuji, who you probably have never heard of before and I hadn't heard of before I was 15. But Sandy is uh, raised a a godly family. And one of his sons, Kevin, uh, became an influential Bible teacher in my life in my early years and was discipling me. Every Sunday night I was in his home And Kevin was a a great uh, encouragement to me in those early years that I I can point back to that God was faithful uh, using him in that generation that no doubt sparked ministry from those who studied in his home that has gone ultimately worldwide. We, We look back to that and we see God's faithfulness in how he connects those things. That it's a long line of faithful men that God builds 
in and through his church that impacts the nations, that impacts his people and generations ahead. What we do right may go into oblivion. Not all of us will be well known. But I think people like my own great-grandfather, Henry Day, who instilled the scriptures in my father, my grandfather rather. And even though I'd never met him, God was faithful in that generation and that faithfulness I'm a beneficiary of. And in the same way, whether it's spiritual or physical, God is building and showing this fruit in our lives through his redemptive work. And he was gonna do this in Noah's life. So never underestimate how God is working in you in your family, in your marriage, and in your children. Learn to think with an eternal perspective, not just what you're accomplishing, but what God might accomplish through your lives. What God might accomplish through your children. That for you homeschool moms that feel like there's monotony every day as you're teaching your children just the the basic building blocks of education. Be encouraged that God is going to use that and multiply that and bear fruit from that in the years ahead. That he's going to use your discipleship of your children to impact nations perhaps. And you might think it a small thing to put that seed in the ground every day to get up to screaming children and snot coming down their noses and thinking, oh God, what is it worth? But he's gonna plant that seed. He's gonna bring forth fruit and in time, God will bless nations. Sure, it may not be for 500 years, but that's what it means to live by faith, that we get up and we do the things that God has called us to do that are on our plate, even though they feel monotonous, even though they feel unhelpful, even though they don't even feel kingdom-centered, and yet God is working his purposes, and he is redeeming a nation for himself, a people called the people of God. Children of God, rejoice in this new year. Look to him by faith. That's how we live. We don't live by sight. If you get discouraged like I do, when I look around at the the mess of, of my life or all the things going on in my calendar or even my own performance, he wants us to throw that in the trash heap and look to him. As Paul said, I count all these things as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And Noah saw the beauty of Christ He threw away his generation, the world that he knew, and he obeyed God and he built an ark. And so my question for us this morning is what is captivating your hearts more than the Lord Jesus Christ? What is building its scaffolding around your heart and that God by his grace this morning under the preaching of the word is calling you by faith to tear those things down and take treasure in Christ and Christ alone, that your unrighteousness would be out the door, that Christ would be magnified, that he would be pleased in this next year that you are gonna obey in ways that you've never obeyed, that you're gonna put to death sin that you've never put to death, that you are gonna charge forward into this new year with eyes full of assurance because you know that he's there. He's there tomorrow. He's there at the end of 2023. So my encouragement to you and the encouragement that Moses gives us here in Genesis chapter six is that God was calling out a people for himself and it came through this one man, this man whose name was rest. Are you resting in Christ and Christ alone 
for your righteousness and your salvation like Noah did? Are you a righteous individual? And the only way you can be righteous is if you are looking to Christ this morning. And in a few moments, we're gonna come to his table where we celebrate that very thing. We celebrate the joy of being made righteous in Christ because of his death and resurrection on our behalf. Secondly, is his character being formed in you. As Noah is considered blameless and righteous, can that be said of you, that by faith you are blameless? How is your communion in your walk with God? Are you walking with him as Noah did? And lastly, what is the fruit of your life? It's not too late. It's awesome to realize that Moses, who wrote this book, didn't even start his ministry till he was 80. And I find great encouragement in that because for those who feel like they've wasted their lives, there's hope for you. God gives back the years that the locusts have eaten. Only he can do that. And so all the regrets of 2022, leave them in 2022. They're of no value to you anyway. Don't let them overshadow your next year. Look full in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the hymn says, this world will grow strangely dim. Church, 2023 is bright. And it's bright not because of what we can accomplish or what we can do or what disciplines that we can accomplish. But it's bright because the Lord Jesus Christ is there for us. That he is our help in time of need, that he is our faithful high priest, that he is the one leading us, that he in his grace and his strength and his love are guiding us into a new year because he's all we have when you really consider it. So look to him in faith and trust him and be blameless in this generation as Noah did. And we'll pick up next week and looking at how the earth was corrupt and what God was bringing upon the earth. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for teaching us about Noah, a man who found rest in you and you alone by faith. Lord, thank you for using him in his generation. Thank you for helping him to live out what we read. And most of us would hope to live 100 years, and he spent just 100 years building an ark. We think our lives are monotonous. God, would you help us to look to you by faith? Would you help us with all of our sin, with all of our discouragements, with all of our pain, with all of our anxieties about a new year, would you help us to lay it down this morning at the foot of your cross and to truly say by faith, Lord, only you are worthy. Only you are able. Only you, Lord, are able to keep me from stumbling and to present me faultless before your throne with great joy. And so, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, would you help us to do business with you? To start out this year in an amazing way, at your feet, that we might be cleansed, 
afresh, that we might have clear consciences, that we might go forward bold in faith. And we commit this year to you, in Jesus' name, amen.